Welcome to Go and Make from the Archdiocese of St. Louis, equipping you to live the great commission of Jesus Christ to go and make disciples of all nations. Welcome back to the next edition of Go and Make. We're really excited this week for a great guest. Should make for a great episode and uh, hopefully the first of many appearances on the Go and Make podcast. We're joined by Father Chris Martin, who is the Vicar of Parish Mission and Vitality for the Archdiocese. He also serves as the Vicar for Strategic Planning, Interim COO sometimes. You're right. in residence at a parish at St. Joe's in Clayton. So many hats. Right. I, and I do a lot of things vicariously on behalf of the Archbishop. So That's there you right. go. Yeah. Many hats. <laughs> One mission. There's actually, there's a great line in Vatican II. It says in the church, there's a diversity of ministry, but a unity of mission. There like you go. a living embodiment of, of that and all the different right. roles you have here. Yeah. So we'll get into a little bit of your faith story. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about where we are in the Archdiocese right now, why you've been given all these jobs, uh, what prompted you to say yes to them. <laughs> um, and then uh, it's like your long Lent here, right? No, it's good. It's all exciting and, and beautiful things. Be duped things. to me, Lord, and I let myself be duped. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and really just a lot of exciting things and hope uh, for where we are in the Archdiocese and what the Lord is doing. So... Uh, without further ado, let's maybe just dive into that first question we ask everyone. Just tell us a little bit about Father Chris Martin, your your faith story. You know, when we get priests, sometimes everyone wants to dive into their vocation story, um, but your first vocation was to, to just to love the Lord. So right. how did the Lord maybe kind of capture your heart for the first time and, and when you said yes to Him? Sure, thanks. I appreciate that. Um, blessed that I, I grew up, I'm the youngest of five, and so a good St. Louis Catholic family went to church every Sunday, prayed, uh, grace before meals, had family dinners every single night, which is unique now, but was uh, just kind of status quo back then, I guess. And so really grew up in a, in a great, loving household where our faith was part of our everyday life, but we weren't praying like family rosaries. We weren't meditating. I didn't levitate when I was praying as a kid or anything. You know, so it was just... But you had a Catholic ethos, I guess, for lack of a better word, that we we're kind of growing it up It was important in. to you guys. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and so even with that, you know, I served Mass. Might as well be part of the action. Uh, I'd get in trouble if I sat next to my brother during Mass on Sunday, so one of us better be up on the altar. I so have we noticed <laughs> that with my own kids, that when the other two are serving, everything's a lot easier in the, right. in the pew. So yeah. <laughs> that kind of, I think, became uh, serving Mass one way that I enjoyed becoming part of the liturgy. And that the, the priesthood then for me, I think you could say the journey kind of even started there, like the priesthood wasn't a foreign thing. But it was when I was in high school that we started a life team program at Incarnate Word, which is my home parish. And that's where I really started to answer the question, am I doing this because my mom and dad have always just kind of brought me to church? Or is there actually something within me that's saying yes, that is assenting to the faith, uh, to saying yes to Jesus and what he wants to be able to bestow upon us. And so I can remember some really significant um, Steubenville retreats. We had a retreat called Christ Power when I was in high school, which is like a service camp that was held at the seminary. And it was during some of those confession moments, those adoration moments, uh, those praise and worship moments, where I really started falling in love with God and falling in love with, with the Lord and with the church. And it was my freshman year of college, uh, of all places, down at Mizzou, the University of Missouri. And we can all say a little prayer for Father Andrew, who's now down there ministering. <laughs> Good uh, luck. Good right, yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, it was, it was down there where doing a lot more soul searching, 
about what you want to do with, with your life. And I wound up making, I called it a lazy hour because I was uh, teaching uh, eighth grade confirmation classes. Then there was an hour gap between that and Sunday night mass where my friends would come and meet me. And so I had this hour and I was too lazy to walk back to my dorm and turn around and walk back. So I just sat in the church for an hour. And it was during that those hours of just kind of silence that the Lord really just drilled down on me. And I finally succumbed and I said, okay, I'll go, I'll go, I'll figure it out. So, and then I've been very blessed and looking at that along the whole way that something you and I talk about a lot and that we'll be talking more about, I hope, but the art of accompaniment and, and mentors and people that kind of journey with you along the way. And I can look at Steve Allgaier, who was my youth minister, uh, you know, in high school growing up, great priest that I encountered. Bishop Herman was my pastor growing up. Uh, but then uh, Bishop uh, Rice was my uh, vocation or my college director for a while. Uh, Father uh, Father Mike was a great vocation director uh, that I had. So just surrounded by really great people who were also pursuing the Lord and their vocations in a great way. You know, when when Seek was in town last year, the first time we were walking around, you were explaining some people, and you said. It's really abundant that the Holy Spirit is blessing organizations that are invested in making disciples, right. like interpersonally making disciples. And long before Focus even developed that language, I think Life Teen had the language. They, they said, you know, this is a relational ministry. And uh, that was my you know background growing up, too. I got really involved at Assumption Parish in South County. Um, I just found out this week that, that the priest who said probably 75% of the masses, of Life Teen masses at Assumption, just passed away, Father Rick. Um, so I've been like reflecting a lot on that time period. Right. I have all these like Psalms from the early 2000s stuck in my head of what the, what like how did life teen masses and the band and, and, and the investment And really what keeps coming back to me is just the investment that all these people made in me. So, uh, very grateful for, for life teen in my own life too. And just really setting the tone for what does it mean to pour your life into another person? Right. And I think one of the many good taglines that we have in evangelization is, People don't care what you know until they know that you care. And I think that's the relational ministry aspect of it, of to have a youth minister or a young adult core member and to be kind of taken aback that you're like, this person, you're, you're actually interested in my life. Um, okay, uh, sure, I can talk to you about my sports game or how it's going with this high school relationship or something. And But that becomes transformative because something feels validated inside of you about your own lived experience. And then as that person says, well, but you know, I want you now to be able to take that and put it up to the lens of Jesus and the, and the gospel. And that's what then becomes obviously, as we know, like transformative of my job as an evangelist, I make the introduction and then I let Jesus and the Holy spirit do the work. <laughs> you know, so. Yeah, absolutely. And you were vocation director for a few years too. And I think right. that, that same thing. It's like, okay, you know, I can't tell you. I guys come to you all the time. Like, just tell me what to do, Father. Should I be a priest? You know, and it's, I can't, I can't tell you what the Lord is calling you. I can be a mirror, right? I think one of the, I was having this conversation the other night, not to derail the, but Father Jason Schumer, who is the current director of uh, Cardinal Glennon College Seminary, uh, had a great director right before him. No, I'm kidding. So, uh, but uh, <laughs> they had to call in reinforcements <laughs> after your right, tenure. Exactly. Yeah. No, but he tells guys, because a lot of guys show up, and I was talking about discernment with somebody, and 
a lot of people, they approach discernment with, well, I just am sitting down because I want to get a question answered. So I'm going to just, should I be a priest? Should I not be a priest? Should I marry this person? Should I not marry this person? Should I do, like, should I not? And there's something valid about that. But what the great wisdom that he teaches these guys is fall in love with Jesus, get to know him, and the answer will reveal itself. But don't try to answer the question. Don't treat Jesus like he's a, a genie or a, or a sage, or eventually he's just going to say, "Don't do it." Like you, you know. But if you, the more you fall in love with the Lord, the more these big questions of our lives, the answer becomes clear just because of the relationship. Yeah, Newman has this analogy or, or vision of 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 truth as like the banks of a river. And um, then actually the confines make it flow stronger. And I was just kind of, as you were talking, it kind of hit me that like, and then that makes, we just follow where the flow is and where Jesus is. And Jesus is within the confines of that truth. And it can be, you know, it, sometimes it can be lived and expressed in different ways. And there's different sides of the, of the river and different banks. But Jesus is flowing down the middle. And we just have to kind of follow where he's, he's leading in that. Right. I mean, that's the whole, I mean, in the seminary and now in conversations with people, uh, in parishes and across the diocese, uh, what are we striving for? Really, like what, what's the end game? Saints. We want people to fall in love with God so they can live with Him forever in heaven. And along the way, let's share the good news. You know? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> so uh, as you and I might tend to do, we're probably getting ahead of ourselves a little bit here talking a lot about discernment. We'll get to more about that later. It's hard for a former vocation director not to, <laughs> right? Um, but you've had a lot of different roles in your life as a priest. Uh, I think I've heard you describe yourself as the Forrest Gump of priests sometimes. <laughs> uh, maybe share just quickly just a few of the places you've been or cool things you've gotten to do in your ordained ministry. Sure. Yeah, so it is. The Lord uh, is, is very generous, especially with a, a guy like me. Um, so my first assignment, both for my transitional diaconate and then priesthood, was at St. Joseph in Cottleville, which a uh, large parish, uh, I think the largest of the diocese, and it was Catholic Disneyland for a newly ordained priest. It was just, you know, a huge school. Kids everywhere. Yeah, parish picnics that yeah. last three months. You know, like, I mean, just like, you know, there's... You didn't need to leave the parish grounds, and sometimes I didn't for sometimes it seemed like weeks on end because there was so much going on all the time. I think in my five years of priesthood there, I was averaging over 30 to 40 weddings a year that I was doing. So <laughs> took just up the whole social calendar oh my was gosh, going to yeah. wedding receptions. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, and, and marriage preps, and then I started a youth group program. I started a life team program there. Uh, wound up hiring the first full-time youth minister they had there in a long time. So, like, just a lot of great stuff. Five years into my priesthood, I was asked by Archbishop Carlson to become the vocation director for the Archdiocese, uh, which was very humbling for me because Father Mike Butler uh, was my vocation director, and I looked up to him for so much of my discernment years and everything, and then to put myself in that chair was um, a little daunting and uh, taking a step back. Uh, but in that time, I got to bounce around the diocese a little bit too. So I lived at Mary Madeline in Brentwood. Uh, I moved and opened a discernment house down in Carondelet um, for two years. I was asked to become the administrator of St. Elizabeth of Hungary for two years, and then I became the director of the college seminary for two years, uh, all while being vocation director. Uh, at that time too, I got to serve on the board of the National Conference of Diocesan Vocation Directors, 
which led me to be able to go to a summit in Rome on vocations and, and meet Pope Francis. I got to serve in some mission diocese up in Alaska for some Easter's and get to see the church up there. Uh, so just great uh, stuff. Then I was asked, uh, <clears throat> or I should say I asked, <laughs> uh, Archbishop Carlson if it would be possible for a change of scenery after eight years of vocation work. I became the pastor of St. Clair of Assisi in Ellisville. And that's where, um, yeah, I just had a, a blast being there, even through the pandemic and everything that was really challenging. But just really being able to journey with people um, and to encounter people that weren't specifically looking like a seminarian to answer a big life question, but just living life and just helping them discern the daily experience of God's love and what God's trying to do for them. Um, and then three years into that, uh, a new uh, pharaoh comes who knows not Joseph. So uh, Archbishop Rzansky, uh came to St. Louis and had been approached, as he said, by some of the younger priests. And a lot of people had just said, uh, we need to do some strategic planning for the archdiocese that if you look at our demographics and the way that we're currently structured, it's really not sustainable uh, for a variety of reasons in a variety of places. And so Archbishop Rosansky, I don't know if he was buttering me up or not, uh, but said this is one of the more difficult questions I've had to ask somebody since I've been Archbishop, and that is, um, would you be willing to leave St. Clair of Assisi to take on this job? You really felt like you had just gotten there. Right, and, right. And, and your discernment as leaving the college seminary was like like a like a like you want a priest to have is I have a heart for the people of God and I right. want to go serve them directly. And right. you, like you felt that strongly in your prayer. Right. No, exactly. <laughs> and so um, <clears throat> yeah, talking about discernment and, and friendship and how friendship helps discernment. That's a, that could be a whole another podcast. Um, but yeah, and so to to be there and to really be excited about some of the things that were just starting, I think, to kind of like get get going and some of the good fruits that I think would have continued to multiply in different ways. But also realizing that um, when your archbishop asks you to do something, that's something to take seriously about um, if you have the gifts that are necessary for a particular job that's necessary at a particular moment for the church, then my job is to say yes to that. And so I, I did spend a few days kind of praying about it, but that's what one of our other priests said. He goes, sometimes, you know, there's a guy that has the gifts that are needed for a job at the moment, and that's you at this moment. So he goes, uh, you can pray as much as you want, but your answer will be yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, um, but, I, but I had a condition, um, and that was I told the archbishop, I said, if this is just about shuffling the deck chairs in the Titanic, or if this is just about mergers and closures, you can find somebody else to do it. But if the end game is a new evangelization, a new mode, I'll, I'll do it. And he said, absolutely. He goes that we need to reassess the way that we're doing things. And so this first part will be difficult but then we'll get to the real heart of the matter of how do we change the way that we're evangelizing and how are we well-suited to evangelize in a vibrant way moving forward for generations to come. So once he said that, I had no good excuses to say no. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, and I think, I mean, 
Yeah, it has been hard. Like, I think we can just say that out loud. And I think I'm, I'm sure you've said it to people many times, but it's good to say it in public places sometimes too. All Things New has been hard. It's been hard for the archdiocese. It's been hard for the people of God. It's been hard for the, the people doing the planning and the people in this building. Um, there are a lot of realities that that we haven't wanted to face and, and things that we've had to do that aren't um, maybe not in our ideal plan, but we think they're the best thing for that next phase, for that revitalization and evangelization. So I think um, saying that out loud is good. Uh, acknowledging it is good and realizing that there's uh, there's a grief that has to happen for mm-hmm. people as they lose something they love. And it's good that they love their parish and their experience of the church. Those are all good and beautiful things. We take that love and and use it to fuel our zeal for souls, our love, love for the world to help bring the world Jesus and, and to be the church we need to be to bring Jesus to the world. Yeah, I mean, our all of our initial responses are that if you can change things around me that also then benefit me without me having to have skin in the game, that's the solution that I want. And I remember being on retreat uh, right at the beginning of All Things New and talking to my spiritual director. And I, I struggle sometimes in my life with a spirit of perfectionism, that I want things to just go splendidly. I want, I want to be, we all want to be liked. We all want all those things. And he goes, isn't it amazing? And how good is the Lord that if he knows that you struggle with perfectionism, he will give you a job and a project that is imperfectible. <laughs> it's impossible. <laughs> it is impossible perfect. To, yeah. perfect, to be perfect. And so I've, I've been able to carry that with me and really kind of, it's a good thing for humility and it's, it's really an, it's an, an incarnational reality as well of saying that the church is messy. Uh, it's always been messy. The faith is messy. And so it's not about being pristine and perfect. It's about living in the mess, but being open to the promptings of the Holy Spirit in the midst of that. And part of that mess is, like you just said, the emotional part of going through something like this, of grief comes with denial and anger and entrenchment. And eventually, once we kind of process that, we're able to kind of say, okay, but I get it. So I'm not happy necessarily, but I get it because I can look at my kids and my grandkids and I can see that we can't keep doing things the way we're doing them if they're going to come to know Jesus and if they're going to go to heaven. I mean, that's really I mean, we're, it's the unspoken thing nobody wants to say because it's kind of like, well, unless you do something terrible, like... Well, no, like you need to know, you need to know him. Like you, you can't get into heaven without him. And that's what we're all about. And as we, as we dreamt up what the, <clears throat> the plan would be, and I think it's very different now than we ever thought it might be, but, but the name of it, All Things New, comes from that Revelation chapter 21, but really also tying it into uh, Pope Paul VI in Evangelization in the Modern World. Talks, he quotes that verse, and he talks about evangelization is about the renewal of humanity. Right and and bringing the gospel alive to absolutely everyone, and um, so I mean I think we've really been aware of trying to tie in those evangelization themes all the way along the way, and um, it really is in my day to day conversations. I've been here at the diocese for twelve and a half years. Um, a few more gray hairs than I started with, you know. They're, they're <laughs> and showing kids and, and a few more children <laughs> than I started with exactly. Um, the conversation is radically different than it was 12 years ago, and it's radically different than it was three years ago uh, right. before all this started, and that 
that people at least have a desire to evangelize. They know they're supposed to evangelize. Again, sometimes the motives are impure. Sometimes the motives are, I want to evangelize and fill up my pews so I don't lose my parish or my school or my experience of the church. Um, I think we can always just back it up a layer and say, okay, well, again, what's good about that? Why do you love your parish? Why do you love your school? What is it meant to you? And, and how do we turn that into, I want the best for everyone in my neighborhood to know Jesus and things. So as I go out, people are aware of their duty to evangelize, their, their, their right and their duty, as the catechism calls it. And um, they're starting to figure out how a little more, too, and, and be comfortable at least asking the questions and, and figuring out what they don't know along the way. Yeah, the, the images just kind of came to my mind uh, What that was... Uh actually like Times Square, like if you've ever been uh, to New York and you have the people that are advertising the Broadway shows they're part of, and so like their livelihood depends on it. So they're standing out there like, hey, come to our show, come to our show, come to our show. And that's one form, I guess, of evangelization of, hey, we're doing something great and we want you to come and see it. There's also, but the other form is, hey, I have nothing to gain from you going to the show besides the fact I'm telling you, this is a great show. Like I just, I saw that show, I went to it, you got to go see it. it. It's it's amazing. And you're more likely to go because of that person than the person that's already dressed in costume saying like, hey, 50% off if you come to our matinee today, you know? And so when it comes to the, the church, and I think of even moments like this, sometimes we come across as, well, I'm trying to, I'm trying to preserve something or preserve myself or something instead of without cost, I receive, without cost, I give. This is just great. And so I want you to come know Jesus. And I have the benefit of, again, being the Forrest Gump of the priesthood, bouncing around all the time. I, I see the beauty in all of our parishes. I'm also not overly attached to any one of our parishes. And I understand people that are. But I also want to say, don't, don't lose the, the greater good for the smaller one, you know? Yeah, I mean, we're going through all things new. We're in a parish that's a little bit on the smaller side. We're at St. Justin Martyr. And uh, for those that know, we live literally right across the street from the parish. So as all this conversation is starting, I, I'm in a world where I can't imagine that it doesn't change or it doesn't get shaken up somehow or another. And it's the center of our lives. Not only is it where my kids go to school, but it's it's, it's my front yard. And they walk to school. <laughs> right. They walk to soccer. They walk... I don't... I don't live my life in the carpool like everyone else I know does, driving around to a million different things because it's just right there. And I just, in my own prayer, I had to wrestle with, okay, I love this and it's good. But if we can become what we need to be and be a part of something that opens up my own desire for people to know the gospel and have their lives changed, that's worth me sacrificing my walk across the street for the greater good. And again, I understand it's not everyone's like there yet or always, it's not always easy to get there. Um, but I think it's what we're ultimately called to, to be saints who are willing to lay down their lives for love of Jesus and the church and, and the love of the world. Right. Right. And yeah. And so that, that then launches into then, so how, like, and so how do we lead people there? And it's not, <clears throat> there's no program that does that. It's a spiritual journey that people have to go on. And the, the difficulty is, we have a lot of people that are expecting somebody else to do the work of evangelization for them instead of realizing that they're the ones that the Holy Spirit is calling to be the principal agent of evangelization. Uh, so I'll, I'll give you a, like a couple of examples. It's, you know, people will write and say, well, what's the diocese doing to make my parish more vibrant? 
the short answer is nothing. Like you are, we your, noticed. You, you, <laughs> yeah. you, you are yeah. your, you are your parish. Yeah. Uh, and well, what are you doing to help my grandkids? Well, they're your grandkids. What, what are you doing? I had a conversation with somebody and he was talking about, and again, like good people of goodwill, like all these conversations. But when you play it back, you see like, do you see something missing here where he was saying, well, you know, the way that we need to get people back into church is that uh, we need to have grand, more schools should hand out out of school uniform passes if people go to mass on Sunday. And I'm like, okay, well, let's talk about that real quick. One, you presume that everybody's in one of our schools. Secondly, you're saying that the bread of life is not a motivator to go to mass, but being able to wear shorts to school is. And he's like, well, yeah. And I go, well, what, what about the parents? Like the, the parents that aren't bringing the children, like what about them? And now this is a grandparent. And so he's, he's talking about his grandkids. And he said, sometimes you just have to cut bait on what's already lost. Talking about his own kids. Wow. Talking about his own kids. And I said, well, maybe we should actually be talking about why you don't feel equipped to talk to your own kids about why they don't go to Mass on Sunday. And he said, I don't want to go there. So that's, there it is, right? Yeah. We should hand out coupons for out-of-school uniform to our grandkids so that somehow then they guilt their parents into taking them so that they can wear shorts to school because I, as a father, don't feel equipped or willing to talk to my son about why he and his wife won't take their kids to church, why it's not a priority for them. That's, that's the new mode. Like, we need to answer that question. Um, we don't need more coupons uh, to hand out. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and in our you know our own research, our own studies, the surveys we've done, and reading other studies and things like that, people don't often feel equipped to have those conversations. They don't feel like they know enough about the faith. They don't feel holy enough. And I think the other thing that happens in there too is just our own our own woundedness. Mm-hmm. And I think a big part of evangelization is is inner healing of yourself, and you recognize where the Lord has done the good work in you. You can't help but want to go out and share that same mercy with someone else, or you want them to experience that. When you realize that the people that brought you to faith were imperfect, too, Mm -hmm. along the way, your teachers, your parents, your mentors, that we love them and we're grateful for their gift and their witness, but they weren't weren't perfect either. Right. And and sometimes those those wounds in our relationships... um, can can hold us back, but we have to to ask the Lord to be the one to do the healing. And I think you know all these um, you hear about like crazy conversion stories you never would have expected, and and the mover in those is always the Holy Spirit, and nothing is outside of possibility for the Holy Spirit to go in and and to move hearts in a way that that doesn't make human sense at all. Too, right. we have to so. So really, it's the conviction that the Holy Spirit can and will move and will use me in a way that is beyond my own capacity. It opens up a whole lot of different possibilities. Right. So I think, um, as, as we mentioned, our, our plans for what All Things New, uh, you know, evangelization-wise, I think they're very different now um, than I would have imagined them uh, several years ago. You know, again, you one of the things dioceses love to do, parishes love to do it too, we look at who's doing it well and we try and steal what they have. Um and there's, there's merit to that in some ways or to learn from it. 
Um, so you look at folks in the Archdiocese of Detroit who have like the on paper the evangelization plan par excellence, you know, mm-hmm. unleash the gospel. And you look at others who have been doing really good work and things. And 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 what we're kind of moving towards looks, um, I wouldn't say nothing like those things. Um, but I think what you want to do is you want to see who's doing things well and then say, okay, what does the Lord want from us in this unique situation? So we had our big announcement in May of the parish restructuring and things like that. And again, all the while doing things like evangelization 101, trying to help educate people about just what is evangelization. It means conversion. It's about conversion of individuals and society, and we have to be influential in, in people's individual lives and send them out on a mission to renew the world. Um, so we've been doing all that. So we've gotten to this point now where Archbishop Rosansky has just released this new vision document for the Archdiocese. He's kind of outlining... Uh, the way forward. So can you maybe share with us a little bit, maybe the the highlights of that vision document, and then we'll get into a little bit of what is the way. Sure. That's perfect. Thanks. Yeah. So uh, on the two-year anniversary of the launch of All Things New, so the conversion of St. Paul. um, Speaking of people where we didn't expect to convert. (laughs) I mean, that's like the example, right? right? Yeah. Uh, So the archbishop uh, released in his vision document called Disciples Make Disciples. And... I think that's the fruit, again, of the Archbishop's own interior journey and uh, learning through this process and listening to everybody. And, and what do we need to remind ourselves of is the, the primary vision of why the church exists in the first place. And as I'm sure you've talked about on some of your other podcasts and everything from Christendom to Apostolic Mission, and you know we have been trying to prop up a mode of evangelization that is no longer effective. And we have an invitation now to kind of go back to just the simple act of one person sharing the good news of the gospel with somebody else. As you quote all the time, one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. And so the archbishop has invited us at this moment to first like have that renewed vision of why we exist in the first place. So if you ask people like, why does the Archdiocese of St. Louis exist? Bureaucracy. Right. No, just why, right. <laughs> yeah. why does the peerage exist? Yeah. And, and sometimes what happens is that they start to articulate particular good works that, that come out of the institution, like education or like a hospital, or like a food pantry, or something else, you know. But to rediscover that the church exists from the very beginning to bring people into relationship with Jesus Christ so that they can be saved and, and, be, and live with him forever in heaven. That is, that's why we exist. Paul that, the six again. The church, the church exists to evangelize, to be the channel of the gift of grace to right, the world. Right, absolutely. That, that's it. And so... The mode of that, of how you communicate that, changes down to the ages depending on the needs of the particular circumstances, the society that you exist in, and the, the generations that you're talking to. And we are living in an ever-accelerating change of society and culture here in the United States right now, which means that we still have people that were raised in one mode of evangelization that now is no longer effective, two generations separate. You know, my grandkids don't respond to the same things that I responded to. Yeah, because they've grown up with a computer in their hand, you know, and uh, 
the mode needs to change because they're busier, more distracted than ever, you know, more anxious, everything else. So the archbishop, uh, again, is, it's nothing new in one sense because it's a reproposition of the good news. It's we're reproposing the gospel message of, you know, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Everything flows from that. Uh, and we need to remind ourselves that if we're not accomplishing that, if we're not accomplishing making disciples, we need to ask the question if we should still be doing it or not. So. And it's a hard question. Yeah, I mean, no, yeah. nobody. Right. Because I mean, there's a lot of 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 good um, that can come from those things, and we talk about discernment. And it's not, is it good? Is it is it what the Lord's calling me to do? And those are very different questions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So as this uh, vision document outlines from Archbishop, he kind of goes through and highlights that moment, the Christendom to Apostolic Mission moment. And then he breaks it down into um, kind of the three typical categories of the new evangelization. The first one being new ardor. Now, as I was explaining this uh, to some friends, they said, stop saying ardor. It's not a word that people use very much. And I said, blame John Paul too. <laughs> That's right, it's yeah. not my fault. Uh, so can you explain, maybe kind of hit the highlights of what is a new ardor and how do we live that in the Archdiocese of St. Louis? Right, yeah. So uh, the, the word ardor means a new flame. And so it's, it's, a, it's a rekindling uh, of zeal for the gospel. And so what, what does that mean? Well, first, I need to have my own faith be rekindled by my own ongoing personal conversion, uh, my own commitment to prayer, and then my own conviction uh, of the Lord is sending me out in some way to go and make disciples. And, and so again, we, we know, I mean, we've been at parishes where you drive off the parking lot, you're entering mission territory, they have the signs up. So we have these nice... Uh, Hallmark-esque, <laughs> I guess, notions of this, but really, like, am I am I convicted to go out and to share the gospel uh, with others? And so that this new ardor, I think, is is just that, like, um, an invitation for all of us to first be evangelized ourselves, grow in deeper love and relationship with Jesus and the church, and then have that new conviction that I'm called to go out and share it with others. Yeah, so we receive, you can't give what you don't have. Right. So fall in love with the Lord, and everything else falls into place right. in, in many ways. Right. And again, to all of this, there's a, there's a component that's institutional, but also individual. And I think that people, again, they're looking to the archdiocese for the institutional responses, and we're working on a lot of that. It's, it's really slow. Right. Institutions change and move slowly especially ones that have been around as long as as the church. And and we don't want to change what's good about the church. So you have to so sometimes to make those changes it just it takes a lot of care and concern and discernment to do that and you're dealing with people who've just always done it this way. So the institutional is happening but really I mean I've been telling this to people a lot is you can't wait. You don't want to go out and work in spite of your pastor. Uh, but you can't wait for marching orders always just to go and live and, and to fall deeper in love with Jesus and have that new order. So. Right, and, and if you're waiting for an institutional solution, it's, also, it's always going to fail in some way. Like we've talked about, you can't pop in a DVD and have disciples pop out. You can't. So this, this conviction of, no, I am uniquely suited to be able to evangelize another unique individual that God has placed in my life. And that's not going to fit neatly uh, in a chapter of a book or something else. And 
as a pastor, I need to have the confidence to say, you know what, like I need to be convicted and have new zeal and discipling people in my parish. Um, it's one of the things that I've shared before, but you know, when you gave some of us pastors a crash course and uh, evangel the beta version of evangelization of 101, and then uh, watching some of the revive uh, platform that I was convicted because I realized that sometimes we thought, well, busyness equals vibrancy. And what I realized that as a pastor, I was going out a lot to all the different meetings. I was, you know, doing all the committees. I was doing all these things. But if you asked people like, stand up if your pastor is discipling you, I don't know if anybody would have stood up. And I was like, oh, no. You know, like, look at all the wonderful things we're doing. But look at all the stuff yeah, that we're right. doing. Um, even now, you know, like more recently, I had to challenge a couple of uh, my brother priests because they were talking about the frustration with Catholic schools. And they said, like, we have this ministry and we have all these people that are here, but we don't see them at Mass on Sunday. So time, energy, resources being dumped into this ministry, but we don't see them. And, and their question was, so what's the diocese going to do about this? And my response was kind of the other one. Nothing. You are the pastor that see these people every single day. And you're expecting somebody that lives or works like in a remote office is somehow going to turn those people into disciples when they don't know them and they don't see them and they don't. And, and so what it is, it's, it's this grief that we were just talking about, right, of, and frustration of a pastor saying, I don't know how to use my school to evangelize effectively. Um, so I'm hoping somebody else will magically do it for me. It's like, well, no, like, but have you gone in and actually just invited those families personally? Have you actually prayed and discerned about that? And usually the answer is, I'm too busy. It's kind of like, well, see, the, we're, we're busy with the wrong stuff. Yeah, my, my grandma always told me you make time for things that are important. Right. She said, you know, eating's important. I don't see you missing many meals. It's like, <laughs> actually, the fat joke, grandma. No, um, but, you know, but that's just it. Like, you have to carve out the time. And, and it's, again, it's the discernment of, even though this is good, this is what I'm called to, and this is what the Lord wants of me right now. And that really gets into what you're saying is, is that next section of the letter, which is new methods. Right. And, and the new methods are... Uh, the same as the old methods. No, but I mean, it, right. it's it's the incarnational reality of the gospel, and it's that disciples make disciples. Programs don't make disciples. DVDs don't make disciples. Disciples make disciples. And when we live uh, the the verse, 1 Thessalonians 2.8, we were so affectionate with you, we shared not only the gospel of God, but also our very selves. That in parishes, we're really good at sharing life, and then sometimes in our programs and and... DVDs, we're good at sharing the gospel. I don't know if we're always that good at that either. Um, but we don't often mix them. And, mm -hmm. and the parish is a beautiful place. Pope Francis talks about um, the parish as a, as, a, as a primary place where evangelization can occur because it possesses great flexibility. flexibility right. And I always laugh because I think he's trolling us because anyone who's worked <laughs> in a parish knows it's not actually flexible. Um, but it should be flexible, and it's where life happens. And when I'm sharing the soccer sidelines with someone, if I'm not finding a way to actually share my faith with them, then I'm, I'm missing out. And that's the, that's the new method. It's the recovery of the old method. It's the method of Jesus to, to incarnationalize the gospel in the way that he did. Yeah, one of the other words that's been on my heart recently is it's intentionality. 
that we've just been lacking intentionality. So we're not talking about things that are super intensive. Like it's, it takes time and it takes everything, but it's intentional. Like I, when I encounter people, am I intentional about the conversations that I'm having? Because um, there, there's other, by, by uh, per temperament, uh, some people are just natural extroverts. And so they can just connect with people very easily. But Pope Francis even brings this up in some of his writings where, well, but if you're just being a friend with somebody, but you're not actually intentional about inviting them to Jesus, then you're just walking around in a circle. Like you're, you're not actually walking on a path. You're just getting more lost with, with that That's person, right. you know? So even for those people that naturally connect, there's the intentionality of, okay, where do I fit the gospel into this conversation? Like where's, where's that key moment? For introverts... It's the intentionality of, yeah, I need to get out of my own headspace and actually just go meet somebody and then be in relationship with so then I can do that, you know? And, and, and that's the, the, I mean, as we talk about what's the, ooh, what's, what's the big plan? Well, you're the plan. Go love your neighbor <laughs> yeah. and talk to them about your own faith and about Jesus. Right. But again, if... Uh, the only thing about my faith that I know is my institution of my parish. So I talked I, when I preach now. I you know people get sick of hearing me. I'm sure, but I say we are more well versed at talking about our CYC sports teams, our fish fries, uh, and who has the quickest mass in town. But if you actually ask a Catholic to share their personal story about like. Well, where did you meet Jesus and have that moment of your life where you really made that decision? People are like, well, I don't know what you're talking about, man. Like, but I can tell you that you can get a 28-minute Sunday Mass if you go up this Well, and and everyone's own unique individual gifts. You don't have to be extroverted to be an evangelist. I was, was working in a parish one time and someone came up to me afterwards and they said, they said, I just I love what you're talking about, but I just I don't know how to do it because I don't fit in here. It's like I'm a I'm a gamer and I do RPGs and I do these live action like they're like I'm just weird I don't fit in the culture of the parish I don't know how to evangelize doing that and I said well go there and be who you are and talk about your faith in those environments too and I just think that you know for every weird person that practices the faith there's a weird one that doesn't that needs your weirdness to witness the gospel to them too so uh, that's really the beauty of the method is that for every need there's an answer because there's someone who can be that friend and be involved in those relationships right yeah and I think and the the root of the word method I think even means like to to cut away like to, to cut a new path and so if you're weird and you're unique that's great because that means that you can cut a unique path. You can reach someone that no one else that can. nobody else can. Yeah, right. And then, so then the last section is new expressions. <clears throat> so what are some of the new expressions? How does the gospel uh, manifest itself in our parishes and society then? Right, so how do we make the invisible visible to others? And what does that look like? What does the proclamation of the gospel look like to a millennial or a Gen Z or um, is there Alpha now? Like I'm sure we probably... Alpha is the next one. Yeah, my youngest alpha. kids are Alpha. Are they really? Holy That's cow. what they try to tell me in the house anyway. And you're the Omega. No, that's right. <laughs> I guess I'm old news. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but, but again, to kind of say we're not trying to change the, the truth itself. We're trying to change the way that we express and communicate it. Uh, to people. And so that will look uh, different about, uh, you know, what Sunday Mass should look like in the 21st century community, 
what our Sunday schedules look like uh, in, in this new environment. So I think like one of the things that I think we've lost the capacity to do as um, a church and as a society is to linger. We don't linger much. Like we, we treat our churches like they're uh, restaurants that need tables to be flipped. <clears throat> and so we have, we have not no... like Jesus style flipping either. This is, you know, <laughs> flipping over to get new people in because we're trying to cycle as many people through on a weekend as we can. Right. And so, you know, we got to turn over the church and so that we can, so you got to clear out so we can get this next group in, then clear out. And that leaves very little time for the interpersonal connectivity. So people that have seen each other for years sometimes at the same mass, but don't know each other's name. Uh, like there's there's a problem there, yeah. you know, like so. And, and some of that's like we have architecture problems too. Like So again, uh, very blessed living across here from St. Justin's, but in the early 2000s, they did a renovation of the church and they added on a narthex lobby gathering space. And someone who has been in a lot of different parishes and travels around the diocese doing music was just telling me, they said, St. Justin's is unique in that we have all these new young families that are moving in, uh, not quite school-aged yet, and after Mass, they all just hang out until the next Mass starts. So, you know, 10 o'clock, uh, 9 o'clock Mass, people are hanging out from 10 o'clock until almost 11, and then after the 11 o'clock Mass, sometimes people are there, you know, well after 1 o'clock, just sitting in the lobby, and the kids are running the ramp and doing all the things. Um, and it, it's a beautiful space for that. So again, like part of the new expression is, what is what do our... How, how are we using the spaces and things we have to foster that kind of intentionality and community? Right, right. And again, and to be intentional about it, and as a pastor then, as parish leadership, are we intentional about encouraging that? We want people to linger around here. We want people to be in relationship with each other. And yeah, how do we provide space and opportunity for the things that really matter? You know, uh, as we all know that space, time, and meeting space and everything is always like highly competitive, like at the parish level. Are we making the space and time available for the best things, not just good things? Because there's lots of good things. Yeah, but, things that just can have a primacy. Yeah, Jim Jansen in his book, um, A Clear Path of Discipleship, um, talks about that. He says, you know, there's we're trying to build these pathways in our parish as we talk about encounter, grow, witness, and pre-evangelization, all those things. And he says that it's got to be, you know, the things that are most important in our parish are elevated. Like a highway is built up above, and there's on-ramps and off-ramps. We have all these different things, but the most fundamental things need to be elevated and given clear access to, and so people, you can see the highway. You know, you're trying to figure out where you are, you look up and you see, oh, there's the highway. It's built up a little bit higher, and you get onto it, and you can go. And uh, sometimes that means that acknowledging that um, the side roads are the side roads too, and just being comfortable with that. It doesn't mean you can't exist, but it means it might not be our priority right now. Right. Right. The other the other part of that new expressions I think too is sometimes we have, we're doing the same things, but with a with a new lens in a different way. So again, it doesn't mean we have to get rid of. Catholic education or get rid of CYC sports or the things that sometimes we maybe don't see fruit out of. It means that we have to reimagine how they look in terms of the gospel message. And then are we using those things to bring people closer to Jesus ourselves intentionally? Right. So one of the things that you and I talked about and hopefully, you know, coming out of the evangelization department um, over the next couple of years, we talked about, you know, are we equipping people that 
can then encounter and accompany others? Like, are we building up really like mentors and guides? Like I, I tease, I said, we know where people are at and we have schedules. We literally have schedules where thousands of families are every single weekend. I don't think we've ever been intentional about trying to make sure we have somebody that's quote unquote working the sideline and just like, hey, we want you to evangelize this soccer field for the next season. Can you do that? Yeah. Well, yeah. and again, it, it, intentionality is the word too, because a lot of times father does show up on the sidelines and he meets and greets and says hello and is, it's a ministry of presence and that's good. But the next level of intentionality is, hey, did you know we have a parish mission? coming up right. and we're going to preach the gospel and call people to conversion. You know, maybe don't tell them that second part, but invite them and, right. and make that personal invitation. I think that's the modality change is that we've been in the mode where the doors are open, people are going to come and when they're hungry, like we can expect them to show up. But now we have to make them aware of their hunger. Right. People don't know they're hungry. And I think that's that's one of the things that I think is a real shift in our intentionality of how we're trying to minister. And I need to know them well enough to know what to invite them to. So, you know, it's we've also talked about how, you know, mass isn't for beginners, you know, and so one of the things that it's, it's good uh, and it's good nature, but if you invite somebody that's far away from the church uh, to come to a mass, uh, but you don't sit with them and the homily is terrible and, and everything, like, what have you invited them to? We, we need to be inviting them into a relationship and a community. And that if I'm called to be the linchpin for that, I need to know, okay, well, here's uh, John or, or Mary. And in coming to know them, I know where they are in their faith journey. So that might mean that like, oh, yeah, come meet me at Mass on Sunday. Or it could be, you know what, I just want you to come to dinner at my house and meet some more people, like the pre-evangelization, right? Or, you know what, you have a lot of questions about the faith. Why don't you come to our faith formation meeting that we have next? You know, and you have, you have to know where they're at so you can just in the sales world. Them to the right in the sales thing. world, they talk about leads, and you have cold calls and leads, and you have qualified leads. It's, you get a little more information about right. someone. You know, okay, I had their email address, and I sent them an email. I didn't know if they'd answer. They, oh, I could tell they opened it because of the mail server I use, and then I could tell they clicked on a link because they were interested. So we start to qualify the leads, and then those salespeople know. Uh, the next step to getting a sale is to give them the next thing they might be interested in. They're not asking them for the sale yet. It's the sales funnel approach. And and uh, in the sales world, they literally call that a conversion. <laughs> when you convert <laughs> a lead into a sale, it's a conversion. And and uh, they stole that from us. You know, like we have the original <laughs> truth behind that. So we have to have that kind of path of discipleship to know, okay, there has to be something for everyone. So there have been uh, uh, many moments in this conversation where we've said, okay, we can't do it for you. But what we are doing and trying to build out is the, to have some of the formation available to help you think like this. So again, to equip highly qualified people to go into their own environments and be adaptive and responsive, to know your environment well. And then we can say, okay, we actually have a program for that, for your reality, but you know when to run it and when not to, when it's the right program. So we're trying to put together the toolbox, the evangelizer's toolbox in many ways. Um, but ultimately it comes from being well-formed with a heart for God and a heart for his people. And when you have that, uh, you're willing to go to almost any length to, to bring them Jesus. So um, in our next conversation on the podcast, because this one's getting a little long. No, <laughs> it's a shocker. No, it's good. Uh, we'll start to unpack uh, some of the formation that we're designing at the Archdiocese. Right. We're launching a process called The Way. 
right? And uh, maybe give me like the the three minute synopsis summary, hit the highlights of what the points are of, of why we're doing this, and we can unpack it more as we go in, in future discussions. Sure. So that's great. So basically, as we are are coming out of the Archbishop's vision document, then it is what is the impetus that is on the archdiocese itself to accompany parishes and ministries and agencies and individuals uh, to understand, like you said, like what is this new modality that, that we're talking about? And so the archbishop with his vision committee and uh, in, in discerning like what what are some of like the, the benchmarks that we're looking at, identify just different aspects of what we're going to propose uh, all parishes and pastors and schools and everything kind of use to evaluate, are, are we living out the, the gospel mandate the way we should. So very quickly, the first one is vision. Do we understand why we exist in the first place? Disciples make disciples. Without a vision, the people perish, it says in Proverbs. Right? That's right. You know? So, And not like perish, like get together in parishes, like they will die. Right. You know? So like what is the overarching, like why do we exist in the first place? And I think it's amazing. I think somebody told me that, um, excuse me, was it Ford? Ford doesn't describe themselves. I stole this from somebody else. Ford doesn't describe themselves as a car company. They're a transportation company. Uh, they, they get people from point A to point B, and, and cars happen to be the primary way that they do that. Uh, and so, like, we're, we're a disciple company, you know, and so we're not an education, we're not a hospital, we're not, like, we're, that's not us. Like, we're disciple makers. And we need to understand that and have that vision permeate down through all of our ministries and, and hold all of our ministries up to that overarching vision. Then... We've also been called by Pope Francis to be a church that um, rediscovers how to listen well. Uh, you know, that we don't just dictate to others, that we just don't um, just preach at and teach towards, that we, we need to be able to, as we were just saying, you need to listen to people. Let them tell you their story. Love them. Love them. Because you've heard them and, and count, you know them. And counter, yeah. right. Yeah. And so, and the big fancy word for that is synodality. So what, what does it look like to make sure that uh, as individuals and as parishes and as a church that we listen well? Um, and again, listening to somebody doesn't mean the truth changes. It just means that I know where this person's coming from, and, and I understand might know what them. they need, right, right, to receive the truth. Yeah. Um, so then, when we listen, then the next part is discernment. So now I got a discernment means to cut away at. So we pray and we discern. Okay, so I know the vision. I've heard this person. Now I discern what is the appropriate response. Like what what is the most pressing thing that we can do as an individual or as a parish in this moment. Uh, for that. But to discern well, you have to know how to pray well. So, I mean, those two things are very intertwined. And so we'll have resources come out about prayer and, and discernment. And then when you discern, then it's, okay, now how do we put flesh on the bone? So how do we actually go out and evangelize? What do, what do we need to do? What are the new methods? What, what are the new expressions that we're going to try to accomplish? And then with that, disciples also serve. And so that's the communion of care. And so that becomes the last uh, one. So you have uh, vision, synodality, discernment, evangelization, uh, and service, you know, or communion of care. And you kind of hold up those pillars uh, for people to uh, evaluate how are we living the gospel mandate. Beautiful. And yeah, lots more info to come on that. Right. And, uh, you know, people can get involved in various levels, but those are really the categories that we're thinking is the archdiocese. 
that the resources are getting created around and the opportunities are getting created around. And, and we're asking, and we will be asking folks here in the Curia to say, how is what you're doing fit into one of those categories? Or how can we take what we're already doing and, and bring to flesh those categories more um, so that really just the spirit can continue to move in this idea of just revival of the church, to be who we're called to be, to go out and to make disciples of all nations, to be to be that vehicle for Jesus to be known in every part of our archdiocese. Right. Yeah, and the great thing is that, and we don't need to create it all. I mean, like, again, this is the gospel. Like, we, I mean, when we're, yeah. so we will beg, borrow, and steal. If somebody has created, like, a, a good resource we can use, that's perfect. We don't need to recreate our, our own resource. But resources don't make disciples. Disciples make disciples. So if you have tools but you don't have craftsmen and craftswomen, like, that's what we need. So we need to equip people to use the tools that are available so that they can be fruitful in their ministries. Yeah, walk with them and ask them, just come alongside and say, how's it going? Right. Like, this is, you know, this is who you said you wanted to be or who you thought the Lord was calling you to be. It's that, it's that accountability piece that goes with it that so much of evangelization relies on. It's not that we're not trying, but it's sometimes you know, we try and we fail and we give up. And sometimes we need people to turn around and, and, and put you back in and say, like, you got this, you can do this. And knowing that people are going to ask you that question kind of gives you some impetus to act sometimes, too. And when you know someone's going to say, well, you said you were going to ask your, your brother about his faith. Did you do it? And you're like, no, I was out. Okay, well, like, well, why? What happened? Go do it. You know, and right. so that, that accountability piece and uh, accountability at its best is not top down. It's, it's side by side, and it's just you know, common vision, common goals. We're walking together and encouraging each other on that. So right. I'm really excited about it. Um, it's, it's, <laughs> you it's, better be. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Darn it. No, it's good. I think it's like the messy version of an evangelization plan, but I, I'm really yeah. excited about the, like just the incarnational aspect of it. And that there's a, there's a, there's comfort in, you know, we're not proposing this formula or easy plan to do it, but these are the categories. And if we live that as a church, then uh, we're we're inviting the Holy Spirit in to move and come and do the work. So right. beautiful. Well, will you uh, maybe close us with a prayer? Sure. Yeah. On this, uh, we're recording this at least on the feast day of Saint Francis de Sales, who was just known for his great evangelization and you know sleeping in trees and putting pamphlets underneath doorways and just uh, a man who was all in for the gospel. So we'll say a, a prayer to the intercession of him just for um, for us and for the archdiocese. Let's pray in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for the gift of your Son, Jesus, who is the evangelizer of your love and your mercy uh, that you show to us, your sons and daughters. And Jesus, we just ask that you send forth the power of your Holy Spirit upon us, uh, fill us with new ardor um, to fall deeper in love with you and with a deeper conviction to be able to go out and to share the good news of the gospel with those that we encounter. And we ask through the intercession of St. Francis de Sales and all the saints uh, that all that we say and do is inspired by you and bears the fruit that you desire more than we hope, ask, or imagine. We ask all this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Father, Father, Son, Holy Son, Spirit. Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Go and make disciples. Go and make disciples.